please stand for God's word. Too loud. Remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in a great a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood by, side by with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourself, you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to per- persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, my righteous one, will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we, are, what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Am I on, Dave? I'm on. Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning. So just so you know, <clears throat> my voice has not been doing so good this morning. Um, I asked the Sunday school class to pray for me, but you might hear me clear my throat a time or two, and so hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. Um I know today is Pentecost. I helped hang the banner, so I know it's Pentecost. Um, But today's message is not specifically a Pentecost message. However, Pentecost is in it. So just hang with me and we'll get there, all right? Pentecost is so foundational to the church and living a Christian life that really you could probably tie it into almost any message. Um, But... I do have it in this one, so we'll get there. Um, Jason read the scripture for us. The key verse this morning is Hebrews 10.39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. C.S. Lewis is my favorite author. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is probably his best-known children's book. It tells of four siblings, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, who enter a land called Narnia through a mysterious wardrobe. Narnia is a fantastic land populated with talking animals and mythical creatures. The true ruler of Narnia is an all-powerful lion named Aslan. Aslan is Lewis's allegorical representation of Jesus. The children begin learning about Aslan while they are guests at the lodge of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. When they hear Aslan is a lion, they wonder if he is safe. Mr. Beaver exclaims, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. 
but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So, what do you think C.S. Lewis meant by allegorically representing Jesus as an all-powerful lion who isn't safe, but he is good? I think in part he wants his readers to know that we can't control our Lord. We can't assume he will always work things out in a way that we like. We can't assume that he will always lead us along easy roads and make us feel comfortable. But, and this is very important, he is good and we can trust him. So I'm going to go through those points once more. And Chad, we're probably, you might be kind of challenged here, but anyway, we can't control God. We can't assume he will always work things out in a way that we like. We can't assume he will always lead us along easy roads and make us feel comfortable. But he is good, and we can trust him. Those thoughts fit well with the scripture this morning. In fact, they probably fit well with the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews could probably be summarized as, God's not safe, but he is good. All right, to the people to whom the book of the Hebrews was originally written, they were going through some hard, hard stuff. They were Christians, and yet our passage tells us they had to endure hard struggles with suffering. They were publicly ridiculed and mistreated. Sometimes, if they themselves weren't being ridiculed and mistreated, they partnered with those who were. They had compassion for those who were in prison. When their property was taken, they held on to their joy because they knew that the eternal blessings of heaven were better than anything they might lose in this world. It doesn't seem like God was working things out in a way that they liked. He wasn't leading them along easy roads or making them feel comfortable. Apparently, at least some of them had grown discouraged. Maybe they were beginning to doubt that God is good. Some of them might have wondered if they might be better off to return to their old way of life. So in verse 39, the writer of Hebrews said, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. In other words, Jesus was telling them, Don't quit on the Lord. Don't give up on Jesus. Examples of people who persevered with God are found throughout the Bible. Let's look at some. I'll start with Abraham. The Lord had a specific plan for Abraham. In Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, God told him, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham trusted God enough to leave his home in the city of Haran and live live a nomadic life in Canaan. Over the next 25 years, Abraham had a lot of successes. 
He also had some terrible failures. But during that time, he grew more and more concerned about how God would keep his promise to make him a great nation and bless all the families of the earth through him. After all, he wasn't getting any younger. So he and Sarah decided to help God. In keeping with the customs of the day, Sarah offered Hagar, her maidservant, to Abraham. The plan was for Abraham to produce an heir through Hagar. That arrangement resulted in the birth of Ishmael. But that wasn't the way God intended to fulfill his promise. Moreover, that situation became very, a very troublesome part of Abraham and Sarah's lives. Eventually, God delivered his promise of an heir for Abraham through Sarah. He did it as only God can. It was a miracle. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was at least 90. And when Isaac, their promised heir, was born, again, it was a miracle. But then... God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. How does that make sense? God provided the child of promise and then he wants him back. I can't even imagine how Abraham must have felt as he trudged to the top of Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. I wonder if he questioned God's goodness. Yet he obeyed. He hung in there with God and became an example of obedient faith for all generations. At the last moment, God intervened and spared Isaac. And through him, the Lord's promise to make Abraham a great nation that would bless all the families of the earth was fulfilled. It's clear that God didn't always work things out in ways that Abraham liked. God didn't always lead him along easy roads and make him feel comfortable. But Abraham learned he could trust God. He learned that God isn't safe, but he is good. My next example is Joseph. When he was still young, God revealed to him that he would rule over his entire family. That revelation seemed to be impossible when his brothers sold him to some merchants. He became a slave in Egypt. Joseph's life wasn't much fun there. He was falsely accused of a crime and put in prison. I wonder if Joseph questioned our Lord's goodness. Nevertheless, he remained faithful to God. Eventually, because the Lord was with him, Joseph became the most powerful man in Egypt, except for Pharaoh. Eventually, his brothers came to him to buy food during a famine. Then Joseph saved his whole family. After Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers, they moved to Egypt where Joseph took care of them. God's revelation to Joseph came to pass. He ruled over his family in Egypt. In Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, You meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God didn't always work things out in ways Joseph liked. God didn't always lead him along easy roads and make him feel comfortable. 
But Joseph learned to trust God. He persevered in the faith. He learned that God isn't safe, but he is good. So let's move on to the New Testament. I'd like to take a look at the Apostle Paul. God had a magnificent plan for Paul's life. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, God told Ananias that Paul, who at that time was known as Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. What doesn't get mentioned very often is the very next verse where God says his plan for Paul included suffering. Paul recorded some of his sufferings in 2 Corinthians. He said, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Seems like Paul was in danger. (laughs) In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And then he adds a really interesting line. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And in the following chapter of Second Corinthians, Paul tells us about his weakness a thorn in the flesh, some ailment that God would not relieve. Can you imagine that? God had used Paul so powerfully that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched his skin were used to heal people and free them from evil spirits. Yet our Lord would not relieve Paul of his thorn in the flesh. This is what Paul said about it in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more, all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't think God always worked things out in ways Paul liked. I don't think Paul always felt comfortable with what God was doing or where God led him. But through all he experienced, Paul trusted God. He learned that God isn't safe, but he is good. We could go through the Bible from cover to cover. We could study the lives of many devoted people. And we would find over and over that they went through some hard, hard times. Nevertheless, their lives were all testimonies to God's faithfulness. Think about Job, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, 
Or how about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel? You know, we tell these stories to kids and we say, Oh, God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. But they had to get thrown in there first. Or God saved Daniel from the lion's den, but he got thrown in there first. You know, in the New Testament we read about Peter, James, John, Stephen, and others. In Hebrews 11.1, we saw that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All of these people were so assured and convinced that God had had better things for them that they were willing to suffer in terrible ways. Many even faced death to follow him. That's all pretty discouraging, right? Pretty heavy. But the Bible gives us words of encouragement. For instance, Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 8.28 tells us that for those who love God and are called according to his purposes, all things work together for good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Deuteronomy 31.6 instructs us, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord who gives, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Hebrews 13 verses 5b through 6 we read, Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So what do you think? Does this apply to us? Do we go through hard, hard stuff like the people to whom the book of Hebrews was originally written? Do Christians today have to endure hard struggles with suffering? Are believers in our culture publicly ridiculed and mistreated? If we are not being ridiculed and mistreated, personally, do we stand with those who are? Do we have compassion on those who are in prison? If we suffer loss of worldly goods, property, maybe even our careers because of our beliefs, do we hold on to our joy because we know that the eternal blessings of heaven are better than anything we might lose in this world? Increasingly, my answer is yes. As I was preparing this, I I read a story about a lady from Colorado. She's on her way to the Supreme Court because she owns her own company and she'll serve anybody, but someone was trying to tell her what she needed to say. Those things were in contradiction to her beliefs as a Christian. So this has gone on for several years now, and she's on her way to the Supreme Court. All right. And next to that article, there was one about a young man, a college student in Nairobi, who was stoned because he is a Christian, and the police were standing by watching him be stoned. Increasingly, my answer is yes. Christians go th- today go through hard, hard things. Like those early Christians to whom the he- to whom Hebrews was written, Christians in our time face hard, hard stuff. If we are not personally dealing with some hard things, 
it's not difficult to find those who are. Christians all over the world face persecution and even death because of their faith. Along with that, our world is broken by sin. The last couple years have been full of hardships. One way or another, every one of us has dealt with COVID. Natural disasters like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, droughts, and wildfires are continually in the news. Some of them touch our own community or our own families. Inflation, war in Ukraine, riots, increasing division, escalating violence are ruining and even ending countless lives. The church is having issues too. Many of us have watched and prayed as friends and family members have gone through some of these hard, hard things. Sometimes my mind plays the what-if game. What if this happens or what if that happens? And I think, God, I can't face all of this. He usually replies to me a variation of Esther 4.14. You were born for such a time as this. I mean, he doesn't say, you got this. He says, I made you for this. You were born for such a time as this. He usually, re- or, and then, then he adds Isaiah 40.31. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God knows what's happening. He knows what we are going through. And he promises to be with us. It's his strength, not ours. Like Paul, when he wrote about his weakness, it's God's strength, not Paul's, that got Paul through that. It's his strength, not ours, that will get us through the very thing we hope for, and that's eternity with our Lord. So before concluding, I want to take a minute to explore that last statement. It's his strength, not ours, that will get us through to the very thing we hope for, eternity with our Lord. And this is where Pentecost comes in. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would be our helper. Right before his ascension, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It is his strength, his presence in us that sanctifies us, that sets us apart as holy so we can be faithful in this broken world. Moreover, the Holy Spirit doesn't just sanctify us individually. He says the church apart is holy, enabling us to serve those in the world around us. Remember, at the first Christian Pentecost, described in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit came to believers while they were together in the church. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared upon them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's the thing. Our world desperately needs to see spirit, a Spirit-filled, sanctified church and a Spirit-filled, sanctified believers who trust that God is good no matter what. 
Thank you. <laughs> Living for Christ can be hard. Sometimes we will get discouraged, maybe devastatingly discouraged. Some of us might endure a time when we wonder if God is really good. Some of us might wonder if we might be better off to return to our old way of life. The message this morning is, don't do it. Remember Hebrews 11.39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We can't control God. We can't assume He will work things out in a way that we like. We can't assume that He will always lead us along easy roads and make us feel comfortable. But, and this is very important, He is good and we can trust Him. So, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. When I was in college and when I first became a Christian, there was a song that we used to sit around in groups and sing all the time. And it's in our hymnal, by the way. It's called, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. And as we sing this song this morning, I would like it for you personally to be a song of dedication. Think of the words, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And then, when they're done, don't go away yet, because I'll come and give the benediction. this morning is Romans 8 37 through 39 it says no in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am not sure 
that neither, or for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor, pa- nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Go in the peace that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.